Well, hello and good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. Today is Sunday, September the 18th, 2022. And we're going to get started with a little bit of music to allow for people to come and jump on with us for Sunday school. Um, the music is, I just want to say, I want to say thank you. Um, and it's uh, a choir music, I, FBCG combined choir. I don't know what FBCG is. I'll have to kind of look that up. But anyway, here's the song. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me this morning. We appreciate you being here. Hey, Ronnie, good morning. Roscoe, good morning, good morning to you. Thank you for being here, everybody. We appreciate you. The First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. There it is. <laughs> I just had to look at the video to see that. Good morning, Jackie. How are you? Thanks for being here. If I never speak another word, if I never sing another song to be heard, Amen. If I never see another song, Clarinda, good morning. Joanna and Charles, Nate and Marnell. Well, Nate, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Taking a deep breath, <laughs> keeping it moving. <laughs> Oh, good for you! Uh, coffee and bacon. Ooh, that's a that's a that's a thumbs up like this. See this? Uh, coffee and bacon. Um, it's kind of hard to resist that one. I have to admit. <laughs> if you ever see me holding up bacon strips on Sunday school. And we have gone completely off the rails. You have the right to have me committed. But uh, when we're not having Sunday school, we're going to eat. <laughs> Amen. Say thank you. There's a lot of reasons to say thank you. Amen. A lot of reasons to say thank you. God is good. God is good all the time. Amen. 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 
Thanks for being here. Good morning, good morning, and thank you, Lord. Amen. First Baptist Church at Glen Arden, I want to say thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That was excellent. All right. First, Baptist Church of Glen Arden. I want to say thank you. That's the praise song we have for today. And we hope that you feel thankful. Amen. We've, there's many reasons to be thankful. Many reasons to say praise the Lord. Even when you're going through difficulty, you still can come back and know that God is with you and he has maintain his presence in your life no matter what's been happening and so we want to say thank you we should be ready to to worship and praise the lord now i know that that statement is not always readily received because a lot of individuals probably just don't feel the reason or the need to say thank you to the lord and we have to understand that that's going to be a personal situation between that person and the lord that we need to pray for someone who is having that kind of difficulty um because what I have found out and what I've determined over the course of time is that the more that you go through and the more that you understand and appreciate how the Lord has carried you every step of the way, you'll be much more ready to say thank you and say and give him praise and worship him. Um, And that's a love relationship issue. That's a love relationship thing. Um, When you love the Lord more, you're ready to give him praise and worship much more. I hope that you can see that that will be part of today's message um, that I'll be presenting at church today and as well online following Sunday school for the love of Jesus is the uh, topic of the message for today and I hope that you can see uh, how really it's really on us to do what we can to make sure that we are learning more about Jesus he's trying to teach us all the time about who we are and what we need And we need to be good students. We need to be able to listen to him through the power of the Spirit. Um, So that's today's message, and I hope that you'll be able to join us with that either online, if you can't come to church in Akron, or uh, in in person at Akron Alliance Fellowship. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We are uh, very appreciative for all those who are giving uh, to the church. We want to make sure that you always have an opportunity to know how to get tithes and offerings to us if you are not part of our church if you feel like you want to participate and also give to us and this is not for me please don't think that Uh, it's not for me or for pastor gus or anybody else it's for the church the benevolent offerings the ways to pay the bills the utilities uh please remember to mail them pardon me to akron alliance fellowship 688 diagonal road akron ohio 44320 um, yeah, I do this because I love the Lord. I don't do this for money. Uh, there's no, uh, 
there's no other way to look at it. So I want to make sure that it's very clear that it's not the messenger who's asking for this money. <laughs> it's, it's for the benefit of the church. Amen. Uh, I contribute to the church as well, too. So these are all things that we want to make sure that we understand, too, when we do this. Um, don't want to make any assumptions. Don't want any, anybody to make any other assumptions as well, too. But we do appreciate your participation in that. Akron Alliance Fellowship is a real church. We have a real ministry. We have a ministry that's involved, very highly involved in the area. And we want to make sure that we are doing what we can to continue that ministry uh, without any hardship uh, per se. Let the Lord, letting the Lord handle all of that when it comes to uh, monies received and how they're spent and all that. So just want to make those quick announcements on that. And I want to get started because there's enough material here that I'm going to have to get through this to make sure that there's good understanding and not uh, any confusion uh, about this if I just go too quickly uh, since I do eventually have to get down to Akron. <laughs> so I'll have to work that out. But let's go ahead and get started with another session of Sunday School. This message, uh, the Sunday School lesson, excuse me, is going to be in John chapter 2. Verses 12 through 25, we're going to cover a few verses, uh, John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25, and this is beginning the message and ministry of Jesus. If, if you look at the book of John and where it is after the introductory phase, where Jesus is uh, picking his disciples, um, John uh, articulates that information through the first part of uh, John chapter, or the second part of John chapter 1 into the early part of John chapter 2. Now we're picking up at verse 12, where the ministry starts to really begin. This is after the wedding ceremony and all that. And we're going to see some things here that are very important to talk about. When we talk about Jesus' character, we're going to also see some indications about Jesus' zeal as well, too, for, and the love for his people. And, and that's also very, very important for us to see, too. He is a very compassionate God. Uh, he's also a passionate God. I want to use that word too. Compassionate and passionate. And he's passionate for us. And I hope that you can see this in this particular text today. Um, so let's go ahead and get started with the reading. John chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 12. Please turn your Bibles and electronic devices to John chapter 2, verse 12. And we're going to read down through verse 25. And this is all about when Jesus is going to clear the temple. <laughs> um, there are two different renderings of when, of, in Scripture when Jesus cleared the temple. This is the first one. And the other Gospels only really mention the second one, uh, the second clearing towards the end of his ministry. Uh, but John makes it a point to reference this particular one. And it's because it's during a very different time, a very special time when it comes to praise and worship. And we want to make sure that we see this as well, too. So let's start. And, and, of course, it has to do with the Jewish Passover celebration. Starting at verse 12 of John chapter 2. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle... Remember, in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Verse 15, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle 
scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Verse 16. Then going, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, Passion for God's house will consume me. Verse 18. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Verse 19. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had, had said. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Verse 25, no one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Okay, there's a lot here, but I'm going to summarize this very quickly. You'll notice how John is writing this as a biography of Jesus. He's giving you information about events that occurred during his ministry, and he's also making a note for you to see as well, too, how the disciples were not going to realize or understand everything that took place until the Holy Spirit, brought by God to them, spoke to them about those things that he had mentioned at this time, that's being written about and giving them remembrance as to who Jesus truly was. So we need to understand that the Spirit has to be the teacher in this instance. Jesus himself is giving information and instruction in a classroom type setting, whatever you want to call it, with a classroom being wherever he is, wherever he's with them, and he's showing them different things. And now they are learning because of recall given to them by the Holy Spirit that they are making the connection that Jesus is indeed who he, uh, who he was, to believe in him, to trust in him. And this is exactly how Jesus is teaching us. He teaches us in much the same way as well, too. The, the Bible is God's holy word. That's the instruction. And the Spirit has to speak to us about that truth. In fact, faith itself, having faith in Jesus, comes directly from Jesus Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's what we need to remember and always understand here, too. In our flesh, we don't have faith. In our own ability, we don't believe in Jesus. I mean, that's why Jesus said, we said it again, he knew about people. He knew about human nature. He knew about the flesh. We are constantly at war with the flesh. Amen? Let's go back to the top of John chapter 2, verse 12, and let's look at what it says here. And let's give a little bit of context, because I think it's important for us to look at this with context, too, to see exactly what Jesus is saying. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. So Capernaum is going to turn out to be where Jesus does much of his ministry. That's his home, home base during his ministry in Galilee. And why was Capernaum important? It was important because it was a very key city in the region as far as trade. It was an important trade route. 
There was a Roman garrison that was stationed there as well, too. There was a customs station, which means that there were a lot of foreigners that came through that area. And what was happening at Capernaum, um, this whole Jewish Passover celebration was going to be taking place there. A lot of people were going to be coming in from the outside, as well as people who were local. Um, so it's almost like you're talking about a convention, right, uh, from a standpoint of people coming into a city and going and coming and traveling from different areas to go in. But the reason they were coming in was not for a convention's sake. It was for worship's sake. They were going to be there to worship. And Matthew was actually called to be a disciple uh, in Capernaum as well, too. And there were other disciples as well, too. And, of course, a high-ranking government official. Um, I'm going to take a quick look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 46. I'm trying to be selective here on what to to look at and we're going to remember this is again a lot where jesus kind of hung out a great deal and you'll kind of see this and it says in john 4:46, so he came again to cana in galilee where he had made the water wine that's exactly where water wine that's where he had actually done that at that wedding and at capernaum there was an official whose son was ill so he was there and there were government officials there. Remember I said there was a Roman garrison? So these things were taking place there in this area. But even though Jesus had made this his base of operations, for lack of a better way of putting it, he still would wind up condemning those people who are within uh, uh, Capernaum or in that area because of their unbelief. And that's referenced in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, and Luke 10, 15. Okay? So that's just more context about where they are and where Jesus is and where the disciples are. Now, the Passover service, as it says in verse 13 of John chapter 2, it took place every year uh, at the temple in Jerusalem. And every Jewish male was expected to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during this time. That's something that was established in the old law. Take a look at Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. Deuteronomy 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. This was established that every Jewish male was supposed to go to that place to participate uh, during the, in the Passover celebration. And of course, you can imagine the Passover celebration was a big deal. And we'll talk about that in one second. Um, Deuteronomy 16, 16. Okay, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now, this is including, of course, the Passover celebration. All right, uh, And the Feast of Weeks, uh, this was a week-long festival, this Passover celebration uh, that took place. So, even though Passover was one day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, lasted the rest of the week. Okay? So that's what we need to recognize here. The whole feast was taking place over a period of a week. And, of course, that commemorated what? The freeing of the Jews from slavery uh, in Egypt. You read about that in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's move forward. It is so we can just keep plowing along here. I'll go to verse 14. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Now, here's the thing we need to see here about this. Remember, we're talking about a lot of people coming from out of town to this festival, right? The temple was always 
crowded during Passover with thousands of -of out-of-town visitors. So the religious leaders crowded it even further by allowing money changers and merchants to set up booths in the court of the Gentiles. Now picture for yourself a couple of things here too. Usually when you go into a convention area, if you're using this as an example, you're going to see all kinds of merchants and people come showing up at these events, right? Ready to sell you something, ready to give you something. Money changers are literally using currency from outside and exchanging it. Like if you're going from the United States to Canada, they, you have to be able to exchange your money uh, for currency in Canada. And that's exactly what they were doing here. But they were taking up space in that temple area to conduct commerce. And this was rationalized as a practice for convenience for the worshipers, right? We're making it convenient for the people coming in. (laughs) Um, But it was not convenient. In fact, it was more of a hindrance. And of course, sometimes uh, they were using it as a way for making money for temple upkeep. And the people who were not really honest, the ones who were doing the money changing, they were doing so at really extraordinary rates. That's like going... Uh, and buying gas in a foreign area, but you know there's the only gas station there, and so they're going to charge you a lot more money than what you would normally pay if you were somewhere else. I'm trying to give you all the rational rationale here behind this because they weren't necessarily doing it for benevolent reasons to be helpful. They were also doing it to take advantage of people who were traveling. There is no free lunch. Uh, there is no, because as my, as my lovely bride says, there is no free lunch, and that's exactly right. Um, so we want to keep that in mind here. And the religious leaders didn't seem to care that the core of the Gentiles was so full of merchants that foreigners were finding it difficult to worship. And that's what ticked off Jesus. That's what worship was the main purpose for visiting the temple. When we look at church, what's the purpose of going to church, everybody? The purpose is to go and worship and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to set up shop and sell your wares or hawk your your business or do whatever it is, you're, you're there to worship and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was angry because these people were being a hindrance to those who wanted to come and sincerely worship the Lord. So that's where we get to verse 15. Um, and, and all this stuff about temple taxes too, right? Uh, the temple tax had to be paid in local currency. So in order for people to take their money, they would have to exchange it, and they were being overcharged for it. Um, and here's something too that I had forgotten about in the early church a lot of uh, people who were in authority in these churches would even charge money for the sake of forgiveness of sins they were also uh, being required to make sacrifices of some sort for forgiveness of sins and, and we know that that is not in any way shape or form how we do it today we don't really require that and I think those who were doing so they were doing so not for the benefit of really trying to help the other person. They were doing it more for their own personal personal gain. Um, we remember that Matthew was a tax collector, and he collected taxes, and he uh, was not very well liked because of what his role was. He was t- collecting taxes, and sometimes those taxes were more of a burden than what they really were legitimately about. Back to verse 15 in John chapter 2. I'm so long-winded here, but I want to keep moving forward. <laughs> Jesus... Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out all the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over <laughs> then going over to the people who sold doves, he, so, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my 
father's house into a marketplace. Amen. And and so and let me make also read verse six seventeen. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. We we serve a very passionate God. And Jesus Christ, of course, is showing the passion of God in this action that took place when he cleared the merchants of the temple. And we have to understand that Jesus was not even so much. It was more so about the dishonesty, I think, of the people who were occupying that temple area because we, we get the whole idea of convenience and, and making sure that people who are coming are showing up and uh, paying tribute. But there were a lot of people there who were uh, who were charging, these merchants were charging much higher prices in the temple area than anywhere else. They were dishonest. They were greedy. The money changers were not uh, on the up and up when it came to what they were doing. And so he disliked the whole idea of, frankly, their uh, conducting business in God's house, his place of worship. Uh, they were making a mockery of it because of their dishonesty, because of what they were practicing. And so that's what we want to see here. We want to understand that um, people who were acting supposedly for the benefit of the Lord or benefit of God, they were being dishonest. We have to always be mindful, and this is where discernment comes in, everyone. Uh, when we encounter individuals who say that they indeed have the best interest of God at heart, and they truly are worshiping and praising him, but they in fact are doing exactly the opposite. They are not doing that. There are many, many instances of this uh, in churches today. I'm not going to mention any names. I don't think that's appropriate. I'm not even going to start to do that. But you, as an individual, you as a believer, have to have discernment as to who you're coming in contact with. And if it means you have to pray to the Lord and ask if, if this person is okay or that if this is what's happening, um, then you do that. You need to be aware of these things uh, that take place today. And remember, going back to what it says down in, in verse 25, we'll get to that again uh, one more time. But it says, no one needed to tell Jesus about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And so you have to understand that, too. The, the best of intentions, um, they may be good intentions uh, initially, but you have to understand that not everybody is always uh, benevolent or trustworthy. And so I, I think that's really where I'll leave that. I don't want to go too deep into that. But this was the first clearing of the temple um, that John recorded. The other Gospels didn't record this one except uh, except John. John is the only one who recorded this first clearing of the temple. Later in his ministry, Jesus was going to clear the temple again, and that's going to be referenced in Matthew uh, 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. I'm, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep moving forward, just giving you that. He goes back and does the same thing later on. God's temple was being misused by people who were turning it into a marketplace. They had forgotten, didn't care that the temple was a place of worship. That's a really sad thing. And we need to understand that that was what was really, really hard, I think, for Jesus to reckon with. A lot of people were being hindered from worship. A lot of people were not seeing the temple as a, a place of worship. All these things were being taken into account. As churches, we have to be very, very conscious of making sure that we're always doing something for, according to God's will, according to how he is speaking to us when it comes to 
proclaiming the gospel. That's where we have to always center ourselves. We can't veer off for the sake of numbers. We can't veer off for the sake of attendance. We have to make sure that we're focusing directly on those things. God will always provide the increase, but he's going to provide the increase as we are doing what we are supposed to do to make sure that we're being faithful to his word. So I think that that is really what it comes down to more than anything else. Church is wrong. We want to see it as a place to develop your personal contacts, to uh, fill up your old Rolodex, this old terminology, right? <laughs> the old Rolodex, right? Uh, we don't want to use it for business advantages. We want to make sure that we're intending church to worship God. That's the only reason why we're there. So Jesus was angry because of how these people were exploiting the church. And let's talk about Jesus getting angry here because we we don't want to sidestep that. We want to address that for what it truly is because we have heard the passage often, be angry but do not sin. And we have to understand that there's a difference between uncontrolled rage and righteous indignation. There's a big difference. Uh, uncontrolled rage is not something that we're referring to. They're referred to both as uh, moments of anger, but we got to be careful how we use anger. Um, it's right to be angry about injustice and sin. It's wrong to be angry over personal trivial, trivial offenses. We as a society have been poisoned in many ways by people who have taken, um, well, this person didn't respect me, so therefore I'm going to be angry with this person and I'm going to take something out on them. That's not the way to respond to uh, in any way, shape, or form when somebody uh, creates an offense to you. you it's anti-biblical to respond in any other way than to basically forgive that other person or you just listen to them and then keep your mouth shut and basically just take that someplace else and don't even address that. But we as a society, unfortunately, um, video game mentality, I don't know what you want to call it, where we just want to shoot first and ask questions later. The bottom line is that we are not to get angry publicly over something that's really silly and trivial. When Jesus did uh, make a whip and chase out the money changers, um, does this example permit us to use violence against wrongdoers? And the answer is no. Certain authority is granted to some, but not to all. We, we don't all have that ability just to go off and do something like this. Um, we have authority figures who have weapons and restrain people. That's police officers. We, but the general public is not allowed to do that. We, there is something about vigilant, uh, being a, a, a vigilante we, we don't perform that. That's a, that creates more lawlessness more than anything else, even if you're doing it for the purpose of trying to wrong or right a wrong. Um, but that's not why you do it, and you don't do it. And we have to understand that Jesus had God's authority. Jesus had God's authority to do that. We don't have the authority to do the things that exactly the way Jesus did. We need to abide by what the rules and the laws are, um, if we want to live like Christ, that's fine, but don't claim his authority in doing so. We don't have that authority. It hasn't been given to us. If you have authority to do certain things, then you can do it. But if you haven't been granted that, then you can't act on it. So we want to separate what God's righteous anger is here. And he has every right to be angry about what happens in his house of worship, especially when it impedes other people from coming to worship and praise the Lord 
or if it sends the wrong message about what the temple is. But we would have to do what? Make law. We would have to be law-abiding citizens, call the authorities, have them come in and say these people are not authorized to be here to do this. They need to be removed. And that's how you would go about that. And that's how you would fix something like that. So if I were using a real-day scenario for something like what Jesus encountered, that's what we would have to do. Um, and I just want you to understand that when Jesus got angry about this, back to verse 17, then his disciples remember this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. Those people who are in the temple doing all the money changing and the selling of the uh, sacrifices that was way above price, they were insulting God. They were evil acts. It was evil. They weren't being honorable. They weren't being forthright. They were deceiving the very customers that they were servicing. So you have to understand that he was consumed with righteous anger because they were evil. They were being disrespectful towards God. Now, even with that statement, what did I just get through saying, though? We don't have the authority to act the way Jesus does. We would have to call the authorities if something like that was taking place. And honestly, that's the best answer to this. And I, I think it's important for us to recognize this because I think sometimes we get self-righteous and indignant when really that's pride speaking up before really looking to the Lord. That's what we need to understand here, everybody. We, we need to understand that the flesh will make you do things or make or convince things, convince you to do things that really are not of God. And you've got to be careful about that. So we, we want to always act in a manner where we're having the Spirit speak to us and recognizing that. So back to John chapter 2, verse 18. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. <laughs> Well, you know, the Jewish leaders, their intent was not really to uh, find out about who Jesus really was. They didn't want to get into that. They wanted to know what authority were you doing these things. And that's what they always were asking. And by what authority do you do these things? And so Jesus answered the question in verse 19. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It, takes, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And so we have to understand that the Jews understood Jesus to mean the temple out of which he had driven the, the money changers, right, the, the merchants. And that temple had been built 500 years earlier. It took 46 years to build it, like he had mentioned. Um, and it was the temple of Zerubbabel, built 500 years earlier. Herod the Great had begun remodeling it, making it much larger and beautiful, and it had been... 46 years since this remodeling had, remodeling had started. Still wasn't finished yet, but they understood that Jesus was talking about the building. Nope, he was talking about his own body. And, and so we need to remember that too. Um, even the disciples, when they heard this, didn't understand that right at that point. And that's what we need to get to here. Uh, let's go down to verse 21 in John chapter 2. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And look at verse 22. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. John is making it very clear of the teaching, the instruction that's taking place throughout his entire text. And he's showing this teaching taking place. And he's giving this to us for our benefit, of 
course, it's God's inspired word, right, everybody? 2 Timothy 3.16. This is the word of God speaking to us as well, too. And he remember, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So that was important for us to recognize, too. Jesus was greater than the temple. The temple's a building. Just like the church is a, a building with four walls, essentially, right? But it's not the place where, where we, we don't worship the building. We worship Jesus Christ. And we have to understand that we have all different kinds of church buildings all over the world. We have all kinds of different places where church takes place all over the world. And some of those are in buildings and some of those are not in buildings other than houses or maybe even places of refuge. Uh, we'll just call them places of refuge where people are gathering together and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the building. It's the person, Jesus, that we worship Jesus was greater than the temple. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Take a look at verse 6. It's a very short verse. <laughs> but it's Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Amen. Who is he talking about? Himself. Jesus. He is greater than the temple. His words were going to take on meaning for his disciples after he was resurrected, after the resurrection. Um, so there was a lot that had to happen between that point and the resurrection. But that shows you how long Jesus was teaching and giving instruction. Christ so perfectly fulfilled this prediction that it became the strongest proof for claims that he was indeed God. Amen? So that's how he's teaching us. He's teaching us about who he is. He's teaching us about his compassion that we saw in, last, in the last uh, uh, lesson regarding how he turned the water to wine. He had compassion for the people. He has compassion for his people. And he has a passion for what he does as well, too. I think that just gives more uh, uh, credence and meaning to the, the film The Passion of the Christ, uh, the Mel Gibson film. He did indeed was passionate for his people. And I, I had to learn and think about that for a moment. It's like, yeah, Jesus loves us so much that he is doing all these things for us. Um, he's not on just like a day fair, day camp thing. He's doing this stuff uh, here and showing us because it's really meaningful for us. It means everything to us. Let's go further down in the passage real quick. We're on the home stretch here. Um, Okay, we already read John. I'll read John 22, chapter 2, verse 22 after one more time here, just to flow it a little bit. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and he, they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Verse 23, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Verse 24, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now that may seem like a contradictory statement. It's not. First of all, Jesus, when he says he knows all about human nature, he, well, let's even be more specific. He knows all about you and me. He knows all about us. He knows about our motivations, 
He knows about our heart individually. Every person he encountered, he knew about that person. He knew about their life. He knows about who you are. It's a general statement, but it's a statement of truth because we all have hearts, sometimes of heart, hearts of stone. And God calls us to have hearts of flesh. As we read about, I believe back in Jeremiah, I think that sounds, it's either Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I can't remember now. It's one of the two. Uh, <laughs> my, my bride might be looking it up. But he wants us to have hearts of flesh, which means those hearts have to be hearts that are moldable, shapeable, that indeed are responsive to what God is saying to us. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Well, you know what? It might be Jeremiah. Go to, go to Jeremiah 17. Sorry. You can go ahead and look in your, on your own, my darling. And you can, you know, okay. And Jeremiah 17, 9. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We, look, you know about you. <laughs> Amen? You know about your own heart. You know how you can sometimes look for opportunities to sin when you do that. Ezekiel 36, 26. It is Ezekiel. Very good. Ezekiel 36, 26. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel... 3626. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel 3626. Jesus, God has been trying to talk to us forever <laughs> about what he wants to do for us. And if we would only just trust him and love him enough to allow it to happen. Amen. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that is essentially a reflection of the new covenant that God is giving to us. The new covenant means that we have the indwelling spirit being put within us to be able to function in such a manner where we can overcome these hearts of stone and allow God to truly mold us and shape us into people who love the Lord, serve the Lord, want to be with the Lord, want to do all that we can to honor him. So I I think that's important for us to see here. And, you know, Jesus was discerning. Remember I talked about discernment? Jesus was discerning. You have to pray for discernment as well, too. You have to pray for it. You have to pray that God gives you a spirit of discernment. He knew that the faith of some of his followers followers was going to be superficial. He knew that some of them may have believed in who Jesus was, but it didn't mean that they necessarily followed him. And we need to understand something about how that is today, too. There are a lot of people who know who Jesus is and say they believe, but they don't necessarily follow him the way that he would like them to. This is what this love thing is all about. How much are you in love with Jesus Christ? If you're really in love with Jesus, you'll do anything to serve him and care and care about the people that he cares about, including your family, your friends, um, relatives, co-workers, everybody you come in contact with. There should be a love of Jesus that helps you to love those people as well, too. And we need to understand that we can be very selfish when we look at how sometimes we live if in fact we're just kind of living to ourselves we're interested in doing the things that are most important to us 
rather than taking the time to really seek Jesus Christ and see what he would have us to do. It doesn't mean you have to give up anything. Do you understand something? A lot of people don't follow Jesus because they think they have to give something up. And that could be, that's a, that's a lie from Satan. Uh, there are some things that you're going to have to put aside maybe at, at times because something about the Lord's work is more important, but it doesn't mean you have to give it up. Now, if you need to give up something that's sinful, yeah, that's okay. You need to do that. But the things that you enjoy, God does not want you to be a bored. He does not want you in any way to be unengaged. He wants you to understand that he loves you and he wants what's best for you. But, you know, some of the things that we have to sometimes put aside are those things really important for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we need to recognize here, too. Trust the Lord and he'll take the desire away from the bad stuff. That's right. Trust the Lord and he will take away the desire that you have for those things that just aren't good for you anyway. And, and those things that are good for you, those things that are good or they're pleasing, you'll be able to enjoy them. But it's all about priorities, everybody. We, we have to recognize that. Some of the same people back then who were claiming to believe in Jesus at the later on would be yelling, crucify him. Jesus knew who they were. And why did Jesus say, frankly, as he was being nailed to the cross, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing? Because he knew. And he knew that they didn't know what they were doing. He knew that, frankly, they were just being tools for Satan. And we need to recognize that we have, should have compassion in the same manner for those people who are not following the Lord and, and understand that they're just being uh, tools for Satan. Satan is just using those people and using them up and will eventually kill them. Um, we need to pray for those individuals who are not following the Lord. It just brings to mind so many different things that are, are coming up as I'm looking at this study. We, we have to, we got to love the Lord enough to recognize that he has something better for us in this life he wants us to follow him have faith in him trust in him believe in him and just watch what happens watch what happens when you do all those things god's going to show you some things amen that's what we need to recognize here today so i hope you can see this i hope you can recognize it for what it is um we need to have that discernment but we've got to love the Lord. We've got to love the Lord. We, we can't stop working in this area to love the Lord. Loving the Lord is going to be such a benefit to each and every one of us as we grow in our faith. He loves us already. We have to do a better job sometimes of coming to him and seeing him. Please pray for people that you know in your family, your friends, co-workers who don't know the Lord. They need to love the Lord the way you love the Lord. And we still have room for improvement. Don't think that you don't. You do. We all have room for improvement in loving the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this teaching about Jesus' ministry. We thank you for your passion, Lord. We thank you for passionately loving us, loving us so much about what you did for us on the cross. And we recognize, too, Lord, that we indeed always have room for improvement in how we love you. We need to be obedient to your word. We need to focus on what your word says. We need to listen to you. We need to listen to the Spirit speak to us. 
We need to have a hearts for others to pray for them. Those who are just stuck in an area where they feel like serving you is going to be giving something up of value. May we pray and continue to pray for those people that they dispense of those ways of thinking. That they indeed look to you and trust you. That indeed, Lord, it doesn't take a difficult situation or circumstance to get them to make that choice. I pray that that isn't the case. But Lord, your will will be done nonetheless. And we thank you for that too. Bless us and keep us, Lord, as we move forward. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We trust in you. We believe in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining me for another edition of Livestream Sunday School for Akron, Ohio's Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Stay tuned online for the message today for the love of Jesus. And for those of you in Akron, I will see you in about 45 minutes or so. Take care of yourselves. God bless you all. And we will see you next time.